We're going to try to set up so that we can see each other this morning. I, you know what? I love the game Jenga. I'm going to see if I can do this here. Oh boy. Oh boy. Okay, we still have a tower. We still have a tower. All right. We're still working on a tower here. All right. So, Jenga is essentially a game of balance. Navigating the dynamics of balance. You know, balance is important. It's important in all areas of life. It's important in life in general. Usually, when my life is out of balance, I start to get wobbly. I start to get shaky. I start to get a little more insecure in my standing. And I can tell that I have put too much weight in one area of my life to the neglect of another. Balance is important all around. It's important in little things and in big things. Uh, Zoe likes to do the teeter-totter with me at the park, but it's not exactly equal. (laughs) And so it ends up being a pretty good leg exercise for me by the time that we're done as I kind of put her up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down. What's the issue? Balance. Uh, Some of you know that Lisa is from pure Michigan. And they have claimed all of the Great Lakes. And so a lot of people in her family water ski. Uh, And so one summer, uh, we we went to visit her sister and brother-in-law on a lake. And everyone was water skiing. And they made it look so easy. Even her six-year-old niece was like water skiing all along the lake. And so uh, they got me out there and they tried to get me to stand up. And they tried 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 and they tried. And And by the end of the day, my whole body was bruised. And I had probably consumed about three gallons of lake water just from my face in the lake, eating it. And what made matters worse was at the end of it, I heard the six-year-old niece take her mom to the side and say, maybe we should give him our trainer skis. (laughs) What was the issue? There was a lot of issues. But what it comes down to is balance. Balance is very important. And today we're going to learn... From a witness who had balance. He was a balanced witness. And when I say balanced, I do not mean tempered or moderate or half-hearted, like one foot in, one foot out. Not like vanilla ice cream style kind of stuff, but balanced in the sense that he was not one-sided. He was not wobbly. He was not like a... World Cup soccer player 
rolling on the ground. He was strong all around, reinforced on all sides. In other words, his witness was full. It was complete. His witness was powerful. His name was Philip. And this is different than the Philip that we talked about a few weeks ago. This is, uh, that was Philip the deacon. No, that was Philip the disciple. This is Philip the evangelist. Even in scripture, he's called Philip the evangelist. And so you might be tempted to think, wait, that's fine for him. Of course, he was a powerful witness. He was an evangelist. They're supposed to be, but I'm not. So what does this have to do with me? Uh, in 2 Timothy 4, 5, Paul says this. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. You see, he says this to Timothy, who was not necessarily an evangelist. But he was still called to do the work. In other words, to be a witness. And so this is the same calling on our lives to do the work, to be a witness as believers. Witness. That's what our series is about. It will continue uh, today and next week. And in this series, we're looking at concrete examples of people all throughout Scripture who are willing to be witnesses. And we look at them, different people in different scenarios, so we can translate it into our own lives to see what it might look like to be a witness in our own lives. And so today, today we'll learn from Philip the Evangelist what it looks like to be a witness. As Carlos said to me this week, yo, that dude was a beast. So what can we learn from this beast? What can we learn from this evangelist, this witness? Let's turn to Acts chapter 8, verses 4 through 40. Acts chapter 8, verses 4 through 40. And once again, what I'm going to do is retell it. But I'd like for you to follow along, if you're able. And what we'll do is we'll do verses 4 through 8, and then skip ahead to 26 through 40. And if you're interested in what happens in the middle, we can, we can talk about that later. But this morning we'll do 4 through 8, and then 26 through 40 from Acts chapter 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That was the last thing Jesus said to his disciples. And with that, he dropped the mic and he was gone. They saw him no more. You see, that's how this whole thing started. This thing called the church. And sure enough, 
Not long after that, the disciples were all gathered together in this upper room and the Holy Spirit indeed came upon them and the church blew up in Jerusalem. Day after day, thousands of people upon thousands of people were flooding into the kingdom. People coming to Christ. People sharing all their resources with one another. People breaking bread in one another's homes. People lifting up the name of Jesus. People committed to scripture. People committed to prayer. There was this electricity in the air in Jerusalem. But then, Stephen was killed. He was killed for his faith. And it was like the spark that ignited a forest fire throughout the city. From that point on, a great persecution broke out in the city. It was so intense, it says in chapter 8 earlier on, that everyone left. Christians were just fleeing in droves from the city. It says the only people that stayed were the apostles. What was going to happen to the church? Was this it? No, as one scholar said, it's like Satan, the evil one, tried to blow out the fire of the church. But it went... God used what was meant for evil, and he used it for good. He's still in the business of doing that. He didn't cause the persecution to his people, but he used it. He turned the opposition on its head, and it actually ended up furthering the witness. In fact, because people were leaving, the message about Jesus was spread from Jerusalem through all Judea and Samaria and eventually to the end of the earth. Satan's schemes against the church actually ended up fulfilling Jesus' promise to the church. Don't you just love it when God turns opposition on its head? So one of those people who left, one of those witnesses who spread this expanding message was a guy named Philip. He was a deacon in the Jerusalem church. He was one of the people in charge of helping the Greek-speaking widows to get their food. And he ended up in Samaria. And as Carlos pointed out last week, there was not exactly friendly relations between the Samaritans and the Jewish folks. And this wasn't just like a, a, a schoolyard rivalry. The hostility went deep. In fact, even within that generation, people had died, were killed, because the hatred was so real. But like his master before him, Philip stepped over that divide. He showed up in a place where everyone's guard was probably immediately up against him. Where people looked at him and did not like him. Can you imagine how uncomfortable that would be to step into that space? Knowing that people are looking at you and suspicious and not liking you. But you know what Philip did? He just began sharing with them Jesus. 
and his love and his message. Jesus, the Messiah, has come. You might have heard that he was killed. He was. But three days later, he was back. He died to forgive us of all of our sins and to give us life with God forever. And he rose again to prove it. And now anyone, anyone, anyone who believes in him and turns to him can receive him and his salvation It's just as much for you and you and you and you as it is for me. And then then he started to work miracles among them. Miraculous acts of love and compassion in the name of Jesus. And so we see this man afflicted and held captive in his own body from an unclean spirit. And in the name of Jesus, Philip launches it from his body and it leaves with a screech. And then there's this woman, unable to use one of her legs, propped up on some sort of crutches, not able to work for her livelihood. And in the name of Jesus, Philip heals her. And then word spreads so that they even start bringing to him people who were totally paralyzed. What would happen now? I mean, it's one thing to heal a leg or an arm or something that these people cannot even move. And in the name of Jesus, they were healed. Can you imagine it? (laughs) Can you imagine it? They're not able to move at all. Who knows how long since the last time they moved? Who knows how much atrophy their muscles have experienced and all of a sudden they get up. They can move their arms. They can move their fingers. They can move their legs. They start to walk. Maybe they start to dance. Can you imagine the singing and the shouting that broke up in in that city? As people were forgiven of all their sins. And the weight, the weight on their shoulders is cast down and people are free and people are healed. It says there was much joy in that city. I bet there was. So then Peter and John came uh, after Philip to establish and continue his ministry. And then after they had been in that city, they traveled around through all of Samaria, sharing the good news about Jesus. And this is what I want us to see from that. Philip, this guy Philip, was a trailblazer for Peter and John. Philip led the way for Peter and John. So I want us to know, you don't have to be a well-known super-Christian in order to be used by God. You just have to be willing. Like Philip. So Philip was done. And uh, he went back to his house. And he, he sat down and, and said to himself. Well I've done my mission trip for the year. I've done my one outreach activity. Check. 
I'm good. No, it doesn't stop there. In verse 26, God directs him to go. Go to that road that leads from Jerusalem all the way down to Gaza. And so what does Philip do? He goes. He goes. It was probably a few days' journey, and it was in the middle of the desert. It was in the middle of nowhere. He doesn't know to do anything except to go. It wasn't revealed to him what was going to happen. He just follows God step by step. And then as he's out there, in the distance he sees a chariot begin to come his way. And the Spirit nudges his heart, go up to that chariot. So what does he do? He ran to the chariot. And as he's getting closer, he starts to hear the man inside reading. And as he gets even closer, he realizes he's reading the Chronicles of Narnia. No, he's reading the Bible. It turns out this man was uh, Ethiopian in charge of all the finances for the queen, uh, the Queen Candace. And during that time, the queen really was in charge of everything. The king kind of had like a religious function. The queen was over everything, and so this guy had a lot of power. He was over all the finances. He was the president of the IRS. When we hear chariot during that time period, we have to think limo. This guy had a lot of power. And he was also a eunuch, which probably means that due to his defect, he was accustomed to being excluded, even by the worshiping community during that time. And notice that he's alone. So what does Philip do? How does Philip treat him? He doesn't treat him as an outsider. He steps up and comes alongside of him and simply says, Hey, do you understand what you're reading? And this guy, with all this power from his limo, says, How can I, unless someone guides me? It's an expression of humility, which you'll notice is always one of the first steps in coming to Christ. And so Philip hops up inside the chariot and begins to unpack Scripture. And what I want us to see is the, is the amazing contrast between these two episodes of witnessing that we see with Philip. On the one hand, in Samaria, he's preaching to crowds, he's preaching to masses, and demons are being, passed out, or are being cast out in this power encounter, and people are being healed in the name of Jesus. And on the other hand... He's sitting side by side with an individual unseen by anybody else but God having a Bible study with him. And so what I want us to see is that there's no one way to be a witness. It's not about one method. It's not about one strategy. It's about one person. Jesus. Just sharing Jesus. Wherever you're at, meeting people where they're at, that's what Philip was doing as his Bible study with this guy. And it just so happens that the very passage he was at when Philip came up to him was Isaiah 53. It just so happens. 
If, if I was going to witness to Christ from the Old Testament, this would definitely be my top choice. And so the Ethiopian is grappling with it, right? The Spirit's working in his heart. He's, he, he, he says, who is this about? Tell me. Is the prophet talking about himself or is he talking about someone else who would come? Right? That's a lob for Philip to share Christ. And so that's what Philip does, starting right with that scripture. Philip begins to tell him about Jesus. From Isaiah 53, Jesus is the one who bore our suffering. Jesus is the one who took our punishment from God and brought us peace. Jesus is the one who was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. Jesus is the one who brought us healing. Jesus is the one who went willingly to death like a lamb that is silent. Jesus is the one who was cut off from the land of the living. And yet, after that, Jesus is the one whose days were prolonged. And Jesus is the one who will justify many and intercede sinners. You see, Philip showed him how Jesus fulfilled this prophecy perfectly as the Messiah by his death and resurrection. He died for our sins and yet his days were prolonged. He arose Again, to offer us salvation. And the eunuch is hearing this and starts to respond positively. And then it just so happened. It just so happened that in the middle of the desert, they come up to this huge watering place. And so the Ethiopian uh, eunuch says, can I be baptized? In other words... Can I show, can I demonstrate my faith in Jesus? And yet it's also a risky question for someone who's been excluded throughout life. Can I be baptized? And so we witness this powerful moment of Philip taking him down into the water and this man from far, far away from Jerusalem. It was considered the end of the earth. During that time, this man who is treated as an outsider, we see him going down into the water, baptized in the name of Jesus, fully included into the believing community. And it says he came out of the water rejoicing. There was much joy in Samaria and there was much joy in the Ethiopian eunuch. You see, the good news of Jesus brings joy. And then we see Philip sent away. And the last thing we see of him here is he's traveling up the coast, sharing Jesus wherever he goes. Of course he was. He was a witness. And so that's our week in the life of Philip. So we put this together and we get this picture of a well-rounded, detailed Example of what it looks like to be a witness. His witness was balanced. So what can we learn from this? I think Philip demonstrates three balances in his witness. Three balances. Okay, number one. Going and being. The first balance. Going and being. See, first, it's going 
being a witness is not just a passive thing. It's, it's more than waiting for folks to show up, but deliberately going to people right where they're at. Throughout this chapter, we see Philip deliberately going to people. He goes to Samaria. He doesn't just wait for them to show up in church in Jerusalem one day like, oh, whoa, what are you doing here? He goes and he goes to the Ethiopian eunuch before the eunuch comes to him. He went to people and for, for us, that means going to people, going to people outside of these four walls and meeting them where they're at. It means building genuine relationships with folks, not projects. Genuine relationships, investing in people's lives. So going to your neighbors and starting that conversation. Going to your coworker and beginning by sincerely asking them about their day. Going to your to a mom's group in the community. Going to Chase School a few years ago. My mom joined a water aerobics class as just as a way of deliberately going to people. Again, not being of the world, but certainly in the world. It reminds me of one of my favorite books, uh, Out of the Salt Shaker and Into the World. It's it one of the books that had one of the greatest impacts on my life, apart from the Bible. And And so the obvious analogy is that Christians are salt. Jesus said so. But salt doesn't do any good if it stays in the salt shaker. Salt is meant to go. Oftentimes we set up our lives so that we rarely come into any meaningful contact with people outside of the church community. And sometimes we have plenty of contact with people, but I mean meaningful contact with people outside the church community. And so we begin by just going, leaving our spot, leaving the four walls that we put around our lives. So I just want to, to get it to a practical level and for all of us to ask this question, who or where can I begin to go this week? Meeting people where they're at and genuinely investing in people's lives. Who or where can I go? Um, Church, I'm issuing you an eviction notice today. Let it be known that as of today, July 15th, 2018, you are hereby evicted from keeping your faith and from me keeping my faith within these four walls. We've got to get out. We've got to get into people's lives. I am so grateful uh, for the seasons of remarkable witnessing that we've experienced in the history uh, of this church community. And some of you are here because of those seasons. And I even think about the, you know, the, the church starting out in the beginning. And some of you remember that. Some of you here remember what that was like. I don't. I wasn't here. I hate to say it. I don't think I was born. Some of you remember that. Bringing people in, bringing family and friends in, seeing people rescued from drugs, rescued from gang life, their lives turned 180 degrees around, people being healed. Do you remember that? I am so grateful for those seasons. I'm so grateful for what we've experienced in the past. But we do not live in the past. So from this point on, what will we do? 
we got to get out. We've got to get into people's lives. Okay, that was a bit long. We'll speed up. The balance to that, the balance to going is being. Going and being. That's what we see with Philip. Look at the two, the beginning and the end of the, the narrative about him. In the very beginning, uh, verse 4, it said, those who were scattered just went about preaching the word. I love that. It's like wherever they go, went, they just went about sharing Jesus. They took it wherever they went, including Philip. And now look at verse 40. That was verse 4. Now look at verse 40. Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. In other words, as he traveled, wherever he went, he shared the gospel. So being a witness is about going, but it's also about being, about bringing the good news about Jesus wherever we go, wherever we're traveling in life, whether that is the grocery store, whether that's the library, whether that's work, whether that's in our home, uh, Whatever it is, on the train, at the park, anywhere, even on vacation. I can remember this time a few years ago when Lisa and I were at a beach in, um, in Florida with her parents. And, and somehow we got talking to this guy. I think he asked us to like, take a picture or something. And um, we got to spiritual things. And I remember him looking at me. And all of a sudden his eyes like, filled with tears. And he said something like, do you think God is mad at me? So I got to share with him about Jesus and the grace offered to us by God. But I don't always get it right, uh, church. I also remember another time when Lisa and I were on a break and uh, we went up to Zion, Illinois. I've shared this story before, but I think it's worth sharing again. And uh, we just wanted a break. We went up to Zion, Illinois, to the to this resort that some of the ladies sometimes go to for the women's retreat. And um, there's this huge Olympic-style pool there. And next to the pool, there's this disproportionately small hot tub. It's tiny. And so we were sitting in this hot tub, and, and all of a sudden, this guy sat in there with us. It was very, very close proximity. It's like our knees were practically touching one another, right? And so he starts talking to us and talking to us and... It was probably an hour. And the whole time, I confess I was thinking, I was just waiting for him to leave. And he eventually left. And afterwards, the Holy Spirit convicted my heart that he was sharing so much with us. What were we sharing with him? He was open with us about who he is. What about us? And I just got convicted, and I didn't know what to do with it. And later on that night, we went into this sauna just Lisa and I. <laughs> and lo and behold, who showed up? The guy came in. And um, so I said, you know, uh, sometimes my wife and I pray before we go to bed. And so, you know, uh, we really appreciate you. How can we pray for you tonight? And uh, he was completely closed. And he left. That was it. But you know what? Being a witness is not about results. People are not numbers. Being a witness is just about being willing.
So it's more than an activity. It's an identity. It's about going and being. That's the first balance. Going and being. The second balance. Proclamation and demonstration. Proclamation and demonstration. Sometimes... Um, witnessing is talked about as solely our lifestyle. Like people will just look at the way we live and see the way we live and automatically come to Christ because of that. And the way we live is super important, and we'll get to that in just a second, but I want to make clear that being a witness does involve speaking. We see this in Philip. Let's, uh, let's look at verse 6. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. Uh, Carlos pointed this out with the woman at the well last week. She spoke. Jesus spoke. It's part of our witness. But let me point something out really quick. What do we see with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch? He goes up and he asks this guy a question. And the guy responds. And then the Ethiopian eunuch asks him a question. And they have a dialogue. So Philip doesn't just run up to him and blurt out the gospel like... Sometimes uh, that could work. But often it doesn't. He had a dialogue. He listened to the man. He found out what was happening in him spiritually. So I do want to say this. Witnessing definitely involves speaking. But most often, in order to be a good speaker, we have to be a good listener. It involves speaking, proclamation. And the balance to that is demonstration. So let's, again, look at verse 6. Here's the balance, starting at the beginning. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. Verse 7, For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. You see, Philip's actions reinforced his words. He tangibly showed people the goodness of God that he was preaching and that Jesus is alive and his love and power are real. So as witnesses... Our message is reinforced by our actions. So let's cut to the point. Are we doing good to those around us? When we proclaim the goodness of God, are we also showing the goodness of God? And the power and love of God, put simply, are we blessing folks? And I think that can include miraculous things of Miraculous works of compassion and love like we see in Philip. Um, there's people all throughout this congregation whose personal stories um, are living proof of that. And so I don't think miracles have stopped, okay? <laughs> um, so sometimes we can do good to others um, by seeking for God to move miraculously in their lives. Is that something we can pray for and actively seek? As, as we seek to bless the people around us in general, I want us to ask this question. How can we begin to tangibly do good to those around us starting this week? And, and just here, I'll be honest. There's a lot of people here who are doing a lot of good. But I don't, I think that as a church... We don't yet have a strong reputation. We don't yet have a strong reputation for doing good in the community. There's a little bit of room to grow. There is things that we're doing. But how can we have a strong reputation as people who bless those around us? How can we change that? 
All of us together. Okay. Proclamation and demonstration. That's the second balance. So, so far we've had going, being. Proclamation, demonstration. The last balance is the Spirit's work and our work. So try to imagine this week in the life of Philip without the work of the Holy Spirit. There would be nothing there. There would be nothing to write about. The Holy Spirit is all over this passage. It's, it's probably one of the main points, if not the main point of the, of the passage, the Holy Spirit's role in our witness. Without the Holy Spirit, this chapter would be just about as thrilling as a road trip through Nebraska. Notice I didn't say Iowa, which that actually would be thrilling. The Holy Spirit is absolutely essential to our witness. That's why at the very beginning of Acts, Jesus is sending out his disciples, right? He's sending them out as witnesses, but then he says, wait, don't go quite yet. Before you go, wait until you receive the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit, who will come upon you, and then go and be my witnesses. That's how important the Holy Spirit is to our witness, and that's what we see in Philip. It was the Holy Spirit who empowered his ministry in Samaria. God divinely directed him to go to that road, and then the Holy Spirit nudged him to go up to that chariot, and then the Holy Spirit had been at work in the life of this Ethiopian eunuch preparing his heart, and the Holy Spirit led him to Isaiah 53, and then it just so happened that the Holy Spirit orchestrated it so that they ended up at that watering place in the middle of the desert. What happens to this passage without the Holy Spirit? This is what I want to bring out here. It's it's just a simple point. The same Holy Spirit that was in Philip is in every believer. It's in you. It's in me. Sometimes the idea of being a witness can be intimidating or overwhelming. Sometimes we prefer to stay in hiding, like a song says, where it's safe and small. What if I'm rejected? What if I'm ridiculed? What if I seem weird or awkward? What if I lose something, a friendship or a promotion? What if I don't know what to say? These are real questions, but it helps to remember that as believers, we have the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that dwelled in Philip. It helps to remember that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of us. In fact, Jesus, this is amazing. Get a load of this. Jesus says to his disciples that the Holy Spirit brings within us the presence of the Father and the Son. Just let that blow your mind for a second, okay? Jesus says... That God, that the, the God, the Father and the Son and the Spirit dwell within us in a way through the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Like I'm not making that up. Like I'm not trying to be New Agey, right? That's what Jesus said in John fourteen twenty three. You bring that with you wherever you go. If we could even just grasp that. How much would that change our impact? Sometimes we're like, I don't have what it takes to be a witness. And this morning, I just want to gently encourage you, you have what it takes. You have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit to guide us and empower us. And to be working behind the scenes. Who knows what the Holy Spirit is up to 
in the lives of your friends and family members and coworkers, how he's already working, how he's already preparing the way like he did with the Ethiopian eunuch. His main job, his main purpose is to make Jesus known. And he lives inside of you. Okay, and the balance to that is how I want to conclude this morning. So I'll, in fact, I'll ask the band to come up as I get to this point. Our witness involves the Spirit's work, and it also involves our work. God directed Philip to the road. He said, rise and go. And the next verse, verse 27, what happened? Philip rose and went. The Holy Spirit directed Philip to the chariot. So what did Philip do? The next verse says he ran over there. You see, Philip chose to say yes to the Holy Spirit as a witness. He made himself available to God. This is crucial to our witness.